Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. The title for today is Jesus Cleans House. Jesus Cleans House, Clearing the Temple. We're going to talk about Mark eleven fifteen to 19. Have you ever gotten really fed up with a mess? Really gotten fed up and just freaked out and started pitching stuff? Did that ever happen? Or maybe you're married to someone like that. And, uh, and it did start pitching. Maybe it's the garage. You just can't take it anymore. The kids' bikes. Don't look in my garage. Um, the... Maybe it's the basement. The basement just finally gets to you, and you just got to go clean it. Or it's the, your car. Sometimes the cars, right? You're, you look in the back. What have the kids have been doing back there? You know, and it's, you just finally freak out. Or maybe at your workplace, your office. You just finally had it, and you just start pitching stuff, right? It happens a lot at our house. Uh, 13 kids, you can imagine what it's like. Uh, you know, cleaning, cleaning I, the only thing can, we keep saying this to each other, it's like shoveling snow in a blizzard. That's what it's trying to keep our house, you know, picking this up, picking it up. You can just go around picking everything up. It's crazy. Uh, whenever I go to the farm with the kids in the fall, that's her revenge time. She just goes through the rooms with these garbage bags and just fills them up, fills them up. She, and they don't even know it. All this stuff is thro- either given away or thrown away. They don't even miss it. They don't even know it. I do. I'm like, where's my, you know, I'll be like, you know, what, where's that thing? And, she, she just, and I'll come home and there's going to be these bags. Drop these off to this place and throw these away. And just bags and bags and bags. A lot of you have gone through this. Some of you have moved recently. You know what I'm talking about? The dumpsters, right? You know, the, the, and just getting rid of stuff and throwing stuff in dumpsters. It, we don't need it, right? It's just junk. We freak out. We're going to see Jesus really freak out today because he's cleaning his house. He's ticked off, and he's going to tick off some other people in the process. We're, we're seeing Jesus taking on the Pharisee, Pharisees, and this is really round two. We looked at round one earlier, Mark, and then things got calm for a little bit, and now this is round two. This is round two of, of, of Jesus taking on the Pharisees. And this fight has all been set up by Lazarus. Remember the Lazarus? Uh, he raised Lazarus from the dead. The people were excited. The religious leaders were freaked out. And then the triumphal entry... And they all got ticked off. Remember the rock concert, right? The, the, the Rockapella group. And uh, they all got freaked out. The mask has come off. And he's really, he's really making them angry. And now this. Clearing the temple is the final straw for them. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would help us clean out our hearts on this communion Sunday. Just as Jesus cleanse the temple this is a time of cleansing for us and communing with you for us and just pray that you would move in our hearts and speak to us and whatever we resistant on to you or to your word that we would surrender today in jesus name amen okay let's read the passage mark 11 hold on here mark 11 starting with verse 12 The next day as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing the distance of fig tree and leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. Okay, now that's a lead in, but we're going to save that passage for next week. 
because it's connected to what we do today, but it's also connected to what follows what we do today. So hang on to those couple of verses. We're going to revisit that, and we're going to focus on 15 to 19. In fact, really look at this today. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, is it, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, they went out of the city. So this is actually the second time Jesus clears the temple. Did you realize that? The first time was in John, John chapter 2, 1 through 13. And some of you may remember when we went through the book of John years ago. We actually, that was at the start of his ministry. He cleared the temple. And now he comes to the end of his ministry and he cleanses the temple again. And this one is recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And in verses 15 to 19, we see the cleansing, the second cleansing of the temple. Okay? And in this one, which I just read to you, first of all, there was, this is the, really the second temple. The first temple was whose temple? Who built the first temple? Solomon. Okay, Solomon. David got it ready and Solomon built it, but that was destroyed by the Babylonians. Okay, the Babylonians destroyed it, but who was in charge of rebuilding that? Nehemiah was the walls who rebuilt the temple. Ezra, Ezra rebuilt the temple, right? Zerubbabel's temple, he re rebuilt that. Um, it, this temple, the second temple that was rebuilt was damaged many times. There's, because there was many wars. <laughs> no, nothing has changed, right? There are many wars in, in Israel, in, in this area. And the temple was damaged many times. But King Herod comes along. Some of you may have heard that name before. King Herod comes along and he remodels the, the beat-up temple. The second temple that's been rebuilt, he remodels it. And they started to call it Herod's Temple. And he expands it. And it was very impressive. And he was trying to impress the Jews. He was the ruler of that, that area and some other areas. But he was a ruler and he was trying to curry the favor of the Jews. And he also has his eyes on immortality in spite of his immorality. If you know anything about his past, you know what I'm talking about. And it was very impressive. This temple was very, very impressive. It had a huge wall built around it. In fact, there's a remnant of this wall still. Want to pull up a picture there? There's actually a remnant of this wall. Anybody recognize this? The Wailing Wall is the only Play, only part of the temple of, that Herod had remodeled that is still in existence, the Wailing Wall. This huge wall is a picture. And if, you, if anybody ever been to the Wailing Wall? Yeah, pretty wild, right? And what's cool about the Wailing Wall is you, this is God's P.O. box. Did you know that? You, you write your prayers, you, go to the, you write your prayers down, you go to the wall and you stick your prayers into the cracks. There's all these pieces of paper stuck everywhere because this is a holy site. And I, I remember doing it, I thought it was really cool. I got God's P.O. box right here. Everybody sticks their prayers into the, into the wall there. And this picture that you see, that, that wall was one of the walls around the, te the temple area. And inside, right where you see the Dome of the Rock, you see the, the mosque, you know, the shrine there, the, that mosque there, that, that is all, that area is where the original temple was. 
Okay, that's where it was and where it's going to be again someday. The third temple is going to be rebuilt on that site. What will it take? What will it take? Probably a pretty intense war. <laughs> some supernatural earthquake, some war. Some... Think what it's going to take to knock that down and put the third temple on. But it's going to happen. It's in the Bible. It's prophesied Old Testament, New Testament, all over. It's guaranteed it's going to happen. And when it does happen, put on your seatbelts because we're there. All right? But that's where the original temple was. But although some people are denying there ever was a temple, a first or second temple. I don't know if you've been following the news. This week, the news that the head cleric in Jerusalem this week made headlines because he denied there ever was a temple, a Jewish temple on the Temple Mount. Did you follow that? He said it never happened. This is the same guy who was appointed, uh, let's see here, he was appointed by the Palestinian Authority President Abbas, and this is the same guy who has previously endorsed suicide bombings against the Israelis. And he's the head religious guy for the Muslims in Jerusalem here. And he said that there never was a Jew Jewish temple. In spite of all the history and all the writings, and even the, the Muslim writings that have referred to Solomon's temple and, and on and on and on. You know, he said, no, no, he's come up with a new revelation. There never, ever was a Jewish temple. It never belonged to the Jews. In fact, this shrine, that Muslim shrine, he said was built by Adam with the help of some angels at creation. Hmm. Hmm, okay. So, uh, and it's not just the, the, the Muslims that are revising history, if you've been in some very crazy ways. I don't know if you followed what Reverend Wright has just come out with. Reverend Wright, if you remember, was the guy who was a spiritual mentor to be President Obama before he became the president. He was 20 years, he spirit, was a spiritual mentor, brought him to a faith, and uh, discipled him, mentored him, and, and, and molded his, his faith. This is the guy, all right? And Reverend Wright, who's wrong again, uh, he said, just came out with that Jesus was a Palestinian. He was a Palestinian martyr. And the Jews are the whole problem over there. If we could just get rid of the Jews, then we could get things right again in Israel. This is the Reverend Right, who's wrong, all right? And this is the satanic deception that's out there. Same thing with denying the Holocaust and all. It, it's satanic deception. God's truth says, God's word says, there was a Jewish temple. Jesus cleared it out two times <laughs> at the beginning and the end of his, his, his ministry. And there's going to be a third temple very, very soon. And Jesus was in Palestine, but Jesus was a Jew, he, is a, he was a Jew, the Jewish Messiah that was sent to save Jews and Gentiles. And if, if we won't accept Jesus and his Jewish roots and his call as a Jewish Messiah, we cannot find salvation. It's impossible. Jesus said in John 4, he said, salvation is from the Jews. He told the Samaritan woman, there's no other way. Romans 1.16 I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. So there was a temple and it had a courtyard, a huge courtyard. It was the size of a football field, the one that Herod had remodeled. It, had a, a, it was the size of a football field, and that's where the Gentiles were allowed to go. 
Okay, the Gentiles were allowed there. But they weren't allowed to go any further than that because if they did, they would be killed. In fact, they've actually found Greek inscriptions in stone. They've excavated these. Um, and it says on them, if any foreigner goes past this, any Gentile goes past this point, you'll be killed. Only Jews are allowed past this point in the temple. Once again, crazy thinking, right, by this guy in Jerusalem, this, this cleric in Jerusalem, right? But Herod, when he remodeled the temple, he gave the Gentiles a lot more space. He gave them a huge area. Why would, why would Herod do that? Well, obviously God was working in his heart, right? But why would he do that? He's a Gentile. King Herod was a Gentile. And he's like, you're not leaving me out of this if I'm putting all the money into this, right? And there was these, this huge area, a football-sized courtyard, the courtyard for the Gentiles, and there was massive, massive columns that surrounded the whole thing. If you ever saw replicas or pictures, it's just awesome, awesome. And, and three people could join arms and reach around these columns. That's how huge these columns that surrounded this courtyard were. And under these columns, a big racket was going on. In fact, I'll read to you exactly what was going on under these columns. Once again, verse 15. Mark 11, verse 15. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations but you have made it a den of robbers the chief priests and the teachers of law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him for they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching that's where this was going on you see it was the passover and at the passover what does the mosaic law say every male adult male has to come to the temple so there are many, many pilgrims. We talked about that the last couple of weeks. And all the men had to pay a temple due to the Jerusalem temple treasury. Everybody had to give a half of a shekel. But many of them brought foreign coins with them because, first of all, there were foreign coins all over. Israel had been conquered so many times and so many countries had conquered it that they had these foreign coins. And also, many of them, lived outside of Israel proper, and they would come to Jerusalem, and also many Gentiles would come with these foreign coins. But the priests decided that these coins uh, were classified as graven images. They were idolatry, because they had these different people on them, emperors and stuff, and this is idolatry. You can't use those. So you weren't allowed to use those to pay the dues or to buy the lamb for the sacrifice. You weren't allowed to use them because they were idolatry. You brought idols. No problem. We'll supply money changers. And we'll take that coin of yours and we'll translate it to a shekel that you can use that's not an idol. Oh, by the way, it'll cost you 20%. They charge 20%. This was, far be this was a shock. This was before credit cards. This was a shock, right? But could you imagine us doing that? You can't come in here unless you pay a due into the offering box at the back. Uh, and you have to use our credit card. You can only use a credit card, and it charges you 20%. So whatever you give, 20% on top of it. Can you imagine? That's what they were doing. And then they had to buy, not only did they do the, with the money, the shekel, but they, when they wanted to buy the animals, 
they had to buy these animals, the, the sheep, as, at inflated prices. They couldn't bring their own. First of all, it was very far to bring their, their lamb. You know, they'd have to walk them from Galilee and all that. It was, it was too far to bring a lamb. I don't know if you've ever tried to take a lamb anywhere. I've done it. <laughs> it's hard to get them to walk from the house where they snuck in to eat my, your mother's spider plants out to the barn again. All right? I used to sneak in and eat my mom's plants. My lamb did. All right? Follow me into the lamb. They, the lamb really, follow me into the house. Mary had a little lamb followed you. They really do follow you everywhere, right? So just trying to get them out to the barn was a big deal. I can't imagine marching them from Galilee to Jerusalem, all right? It's, it was hard. But even if they did bring their own lamb, guess what would happen? They have to pass inspection because what did the lamb have to be? Perfect, without blemish or spot, spot or blemish, right? And a crazy thing kept happening. Anybody who carried their own lamb or brought their own lamb or trucked it in or let it follow them in, the priest kept finding something wrong with these things. Oh, it's got a freckle on its nose. You can't use that. It's got to be perfect. And they would reject the lamb, the sheep that the people would bring. And so pretty soon they figured it out. We can't bring, we can't bring our own sheep. And, and the, the, it, you can imagine what was going on here. This was big business. They had to buy the sheep from the high priest dealers. And it was big business. They would charge an arm and a leg. And, and it was big business. Inflated price and big, big. In fact, one seller sold 3,000 sheep in one day. They got this recorded. One seller in the temple, 3,000 sheep in one day. And you can imagine the Jewish worshipers were very angry at this time. There's history, of the recordings of this. They would, they would have arguments. They would swear oaths at the, the priests. I just walked here this whole way, miles and miles here. I walked here. I slept outside just to get ripped off at the temple. And the pilgrims were, ro were robbed, but they were powerless. And it ruined their Passover worship. It ruined their worship. They came to worship God and someone's ripping them off. It's crazy, isn't it? And this, the, so and the, the priests were all in on it, the sheep scam. They were all in on it. In fact, the money, changer booths, money changers booths were called the booths of the sons of Annas. Annas was the high priest, but he had been defrocked. The Romans didn't like him. He got defrocked. Uh, but he still controlled the, the, the whole shebang because his son-in-law, Caiaphas, was his puppet, really. And he was the high priest at this time. He was his puppet. In fact, he had so much power still that when Jesus was brought to start the crucifixion process, who did they bring him to? Annas. That's who they brought him before, even though he wasn't officially the high priest. He started it all. He was the godfather, you know. He was like the guy, do away with him, you know. He's going to get this guy done, you know. That's what Annas was. And these, the booths, the money changer booths were called the booths of Annas. It's crazy, isn't it? And the high priest raked in millions of shekels a year through this scam. That's why Jesus called it a den of robbers. And that's why the people were so excited when Jesus cleared out the temple. You say, why did the people get so excited? Because they couldn't stand this scam. They couldn't take it. It was like taxes, you know what I mean? They were so angry. In fact, in Matthew 21, let's look at Matthew 21, where a parallel passage. Look how excited the people are. Jesus 
21.12, Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those who were selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. What were the high priests doing? The priests, they were rejecting him, but the blind and the lame came to him. Verse 15, but when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple area, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. The children were all cheering him. Do you hear what these children are saying, they asked him? Yes, Jesus replied. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise? He quotes Psalm 8-2 to them. The people were celebrating Jesus. They were excited. Finally, someone got rid of these crooks. That's why they were so excited. And no wonder the religious leaders wanted him dead. It would be like a mob hit. He'd be like getting some, on someone's drug turf and taking away their income. They, they wanted to kill him because he was going to take all their hard-earned, stolen money away from them, right? But what here is what made this crime of these religious leaders even more serious. This is what made what they're doing even more serious. Not only were they ruining the Passover worship of the Jewish people, but they were also ruining their mission to the Gentiles. The Jewish people were supposed to be missionaries to the Gentiles. They were supposed to bring the Gentiles to the one true God. You read the Old Testament, and they were, Gentiles were supposed to say, wow, look at this temple. Look at the different lives these people are living. Look at the holiness. Never seen anything like it. Look at the different lives they're living. There must be something to this God. That was the whole point of the Jewish people. A kingdom of missionaries. Holy people, chosen people. And yet they were destroying, these religious leaders were destroying this. The court of the Gentiles was a place for seekers to find the one true God. Instead, they turned it into a barnyard. Verse 16, it says not only that. Look at verse 16 there. It says, And would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple court. Not only that, they, they were using it as a shortcut to carry their merchandise from the, from the city to the Mount of Olives, you had to walk all the way around this big giant temple, but they learned to take shortcuts with all their stuff to go sell. Isn't that crazy? That's what they were doing. I remember when I was in college and we had a shortcut we found. When we drove our car from the campus to, the, to our apartments, the college apartment, there was, we could take a shortcut. Between the dorms, there was a grass lawn that was down a pretty good steep hill. And, and don't do this at home. But anyway, the, the, we, we figured out, if no one was really looking, we just kind of would you know, drive the car down the, between the, the dorms on this grass lawn and pull into the parking lot. And it was funny, and a few people would see us, and they'd think it was funny. And you know, we would do this. That was our shortcut. 
We were careful not to do it when too many people were around, but we thought it was funny. One time I'm driving the car and I have all my buddies in the car there in the back and next to me and we're all piled into the car and we're driving and I was they're like, take the shortcut, take the shortcut. I go, I looked over the hill as I was coming around. I go, no, I came around the curve. No, no, because there was a mob of people down there. It turned out there was some activity that we probably should have been at, but we weren't. And, and, uh, the, the, and they were all there for this big activity. They're like, go on, come on, do it. I'm, like, I'm not doing it. No, I'm not going to get in trouble. And they literally grabbed my wheel and held on and made me, all the guys, they all grabbed the wheel and they made me drive down this hill. So I started slowing down, we're coming down. And as we got to the bottom, must have been 100 people there. The RD was there, everybody was there, and they all ducked down. They all ducked, and it looks like I'm being this smart aleck, driving down, you know, showing off, driving in front of the, and, and what could I do? I just kind of smiled and did one of these waves and Oh, and sure enough, I had a nice ticket on my car later. And then, not only that, after, not long after that, we were, I was coming back from swim, we were swimmers and swim practice, and it was early morning, it was a Saturday morning because we had to get up early and go swim, you know, 7 to 9 or something. Everybody's sleeping. It was raining, it was wet. We're coming back, and one of the swimming guys behind me, his name was Bill, one of my good friends, he was my roommate too, we had six guys, and he was following me, and I'm not going to tell you his last name, but anyway, Bill was following me. And, uh, and he decided he wanted to pass me. Well, we're competitors, we're swimmers, I'm not going to let him pass me. So I, I moved over, and then he tried to go this way, and I moved over, and, and I won't let him pass me, coming back from the pool to the, the norms. And it's raining and wet, wet early in the morning, and it's, you know, it's almost winter. And he, he cannot get past me. It's like NASCAR, right? We're doing all of these, you know. I, we were at the happy times yesterday with the go-kart racing. I mean, we're doing these. I wouldn't let him by, and he knew I was going to win. I had the inside track. He's not going to beat me back to the, to the parking lot. So all of a sudden, he disappears. I'm like, where did he go? Oh, he took that shortcut. You know, he went down between the dorms, right? And then I knew he was going to rub it in, and we were, the guys in the car were all laughing, and we were mad. And, and so we get down to the parking lot, and he wasn't there. I'm like, ha-ha, we won, we won, we won. We were all excited. And then we hear, hey, guys, come here and help me. He went down that wet lawn and lost control, skidding down the hill, and he was headed right for the dorm. He's going to crash into the dorm, but luckily for him, there was a tree just before the dorm. And it was one of these trees, by then they're 10 years, you know, one of these circumferences things, and he hits the tree, knocks it flat, goes all the way up the tree, and flattens it, and stops just before he hits the dorm. Lucky for him. But now he's stuck. He couldn't get his car. He was stuck. The wheels, the front wheels were off spinning and he couldn't do anything. So he's like, so I had to go in and start knocking on doors and get everybody awake and get enough guys. And we had to come out and pull the car off the tree. And then he's like, I got to get this car out of here so no one knows what I did. And meanwhile, there's people in the balconies and everything, you know, <laughs> you idiots, you know, yeah, that's all these, right? The dean was not happy. The dean was not happy. But that's crazy, right? Crazy to take some shortcut like that. That's exactly what these people were doing. They were taking this crazy, insane shortcut through the temple. And it was, it's just crazy that they, they, they would do this. Think about that. And only Mark records this part of it. Why would Mark record this desecration of this courtyard so much? Why would he emphasize this? Yeah, 
He's writing to the Gentiles. This is the gospel to the Gentiles. So he makes a big deal of it. It's his main concern. And Jesus is also very, very concerned about this too. That's why in verse 17 he says, And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? It's a big concern. He's quoting two different verses. In Jeremiah 7.11, this is what it says. Has this house, which bears my name, become a den of robbers to you? But I have been watching, declares the Lord. And then in Isaiah 56, 6 and 7, this is also another prophecy. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to serve him, to love the name of the Lord, and to worship him... All who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and who hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will accept, be accepted on my altar for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. God promised that godly Gentiles that were really seeking the one true God would have a place to worship him in the temple. But instead of attracting Gentiles, they were only attracting shysters and flies in this place now. And I'm sure Jesus feels the same way today, doesn't he? When he sees what is happening in his church. Not just the Reverend Wrights who are wrong, but a lot of others. You watch the TV evangelists and the TV shows, and so many of them are con artists and, and false teachers. The cephalo dollars that are raising $70 million so they can get their own jet, you know? And, and, and it's turning off masses. You know how many people talk, talk about that out there? This is Christianity. TV preachers are Christianity. Their message is the message of the Bible. They're, they're turning people off to the true gospel. This passage has some vital things to say to the church today. There is no physical temple right now. There's going to be a third one. But there's no physical temple today, but there's still a temple, isn't there? There's still a temple. It started right at the same time the other temple was destroyed. In 1 Peter 2.5, it says this. 1 Peter 2.5 says, You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices to God through Jesus Christ. There's still a temple. It's called the Church of Jesus Christ. We are the temple. Each one of us, the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ, the moment you say, God, I believe Jesus came and died on the cross in my place for my sin, and I'm putting my faith in him, my trust in him, for forgiveness, and that, that I can have a brand new life in Jesus Christ. The moment you pray that prayer, you become a stone in the temple. You are placed in that temple. And not only that, it says not only are we a stone, but it also says we're priests. We are priests. Some of you may have grown up in a tradition, Christian tradition, where there was a priest and he was some special holy man and you had to have everything done through this guy. Listen, that's not in the Bible anywhere. The Bible teaches that the priesthood of all believers, the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you become a priest of Jesus Christ. You become, you become a priest. We, and not only that, we're to be holy priests. Look at what it says there. Holy priests. 
offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. What is a, what is a spiritual sacrifice that we're to be presenting? What is that? I'll give you a hint. Romans 12, 1 and 2. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, it tells us exactly what that sacrifice. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Our very own bodies are living sacrifices. Our bodies are the living sacrifices. We, now get this, we are the priests and we are the sacrifice. Do you get that? Not only are we the priests, but we're the sacrifice. We're to offer our own self, not a dead lamb. That's already been done. Jesus died for us, but a living sacrifice. It's our lives that we're to offer. And we're to be transformers. We're not to be conformed, which means to be squeezed into the mold of the world. But we're to be transformed, to become different through the renewing of our minds through God's word. And that's what communion is all about. Communion is all about this. The temple sacrifice is no longer needed, is it? Why? Because Jesus, the Lamb of God who came away who came to take away the sin of the world. He was sacrificed on the cross for our sin. It's already been done. It's done. In fact, in Hebrews 10.10, it says this. In Hebrews 10.10, And by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Once for all. It's done. Once Jesus was the Lamb of God, once he was sacrificed, it wasn't needed anymore. He doesn't need to be sacrificed anymore. Some of you grew up in tradition where you sacrificed every Sunday and you had to, you, you, you know where it goes from there. That's not in the Bible. Once for all, it is finished. And once that was done, there's, Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. We now just remember what we did. When we take communion, he's not being sacrificed again. We're remembering what he did. He said, do this in remembrance of me. He said, didn't say, do this because I'm being sacrificed every Sunday again. No, do this in remembrance of me. When we take that bread, we're remembering that he died for us. When we take that cup, we're, we're remembering the, the blood that he shed for us. His body and blood that he gave, we're remembering that once for all. But it's also a time to purify. Not just to remember what Jesus did, but it's a time to purify. Because we're to be the holy priesthood. We are the priests, and we, our lives are the sacrifice, living holy lives, lives that are in line with God's word, his purpose for our life, lives that are going to give us a blessed life, a happy life, lives that are going to let us bless other people and attract other people to Jesus Christ when they see the, the, the joy and the peace that we have and the power in our life and the marriages that we have and the families that we have and the way that we treat people. That power... So we are the priests, we're the sacrifice, and not only that, but also we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We're not, we are the temple, the priests, and the sacrifice all rolled into one. In fact, each one of us, the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're not just a stone in the temple, but you're actually a personal temple of the Holy Spirit. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 6, 18, it says this. In 1 Corinthians 6, 18, look at what it says. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. 
Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. The moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you've done this, the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ and gave your life to him, the Holy Spirit came inside of you. And you became not just part of the, the, the stones of the, the body of Christ where the Holy Spirit is, but the Holy Spirit, you became a temple yourself. The Holy Spirit is actually living inside of you. He's there. We, as Christians, are we offering spiritual sacrifices to Christ that are acceptable to God? Are we living these holy lives? That's the whole point of communion. It's a time to commune with God, to reconnect, to prime the pump for ongoing communion. But it's a time to say, what do I need to repent of? What do I need to confess? What do I need to cut out of my life? What do I need to get help with? Because sometimes we, you come week, month after month to communion, and if we're struggling with the same thing, it's time to talk to somebody. Talk to me. Talk to another Christian brother or sister. Talk to somebody. Talk to a Christian counselor. Talk to somebody. We just don't want to have the same strongholds in our life time after time. There's, I'm not saying we do need God's mercy and grace. There's always a battle. But there's something that's haunting us and holding us back and keeping us from living that life. Get someone to help because it, we, we need each other. It's the body of Christ. Confess your sins one to another. James talks about that. Very, very important to get some help with that. I want to ask you this question. Can you commune? with God. Is the Holy Spirit in you? Have you ever put your faith in Jesus Christ? Have you ever given your life to him? You can do that today. If you've never given your life to him, you can do that today. You don't need a priest. You don't need a religious ritual. You don't need a special rite. It's, it's through Jesus Christ and him alone. He's through, his one and only, through God's one and only son. John 3, 16. I'm in a rut. I can't get through a sermon without this one. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Have you ever believed in him? Not just in the, it's not talking about mental. This is talking about knowing something but with your heart. The, the Greek word means to cling to, to put your total trust in, to, to put all your hope in. That's what the word means. Have you ever put your hope and trust in Jesus Christ? His death on that cross saying, God, I believe Jesus died for me so that I could be forgiven. I ask you to forgive me. I put my faith in him. I give my life to Jesus. Have you ever received the Holy Spirit through faith? We're going to go to communion now. And I already explained what it is. It, it's, it, the, the bread represents the body of Christ. In the cup of grape juice represents the blood of Christ. And it's a time to remember what Jesus did for us. But it's a time to, to really spark our memory and to, to cleanse ourselves. And, and, and anybody who has put their faith in Jesus Christ and our, our sins are confessed, that's what this is for. You may be here today and you're not ready to put your faith in Christ. That's okay. Just wait. Nobody's videotaping. We don't record who comes up front. We don't, nobody knows. This is between, between you and God. If you're not ready to do that, wait. Just take this time to pray. But I hope that if God is speaking to your heart and you're ready, that today's the day you'll do that. You'll put your faith in him today and commune with him, not just this morning, but, but every day talk to him and spend time with God. Also, if there's a sin in our life, maybe there's a sin in our life that we 
God has been convicting us of, and we will not surrender it. I'm not talking about something we struggle with. We always struggle with something, right? I'm talking about something we won't surrender. We won't say, God, help me. Forgive me and help me. I need your mercy and grace in this battle. That's all he's asking for. But if you're not, there's something that you're not willing to surrender, then don't take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy way. Very, very serious. What we do is we just have some worship music playing. When you feel ready, just come forward and take, take it and go back to your seat. You could take it by yourself. You could take it with your family. You could take it with a friend. However, it's, just, it's between you and God. However, the, I hope everybody can, and I hope everybody does, but it, it's between you and God. That's between you and him. Let's pray. As we go to this time of prayer, can we commune with God today? Maybe you, you haven't been able to commune yet because you haven't put your faith in Jesus, but the Holy Spirit is speaking to you today. You feel God pulling on your heart today. And you know this is the day of salvation. This is the time. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Right where you're sitting, you can put your faith in Jesus. Pray to him right from your heart. Pray to him. Say, God, I believe Jesus died for me. He died on the cross for my sin, for every wrong thing I've ever done or ever will do. I believe that. I don't want that sin anymore. I, want, I don't want that old life anymore. I repent of that. I walk away from that. I turn my back on that old life. I put my faith in Jesus. I ask you to forgive me because I'm putting my faith in Jesus. I give my life to your son. If you've prayed that prayer, something amazing has happened to you. You're in for the shock of your life because you'll never be the same and your life will never be the same because God's Holy Spirit is living inside of you. The Spirit of Jesus is living in you and you can now commune with God anytime, anywhere. You can talk to him anytime as your father. I want to encourage you to let somebody know. Tell me on the way out. Tell car. Text me. Call me. Email me. Tell a friend who's here, a family member. Let somebody know. Because we're going to be excited for you and we're going to encourage you. For those of us who have already put our faith in Christ, how is the Holy Spirit speaking to us? Are we holy priests? Showing others the way to Jesus Christ. Are we living 
sacrifices. God doesn't want a dead animal. He wants a living, holy person now. Are we living lives that please him and help us stay close to him? Is there anything in our life that is grieving the Holy Spirit who lives in us? that we need to confess and repent of and make right this morning so that we can really take this communion and, and more importantly, so that we can stay close to God every day. Father, I pray that you would help us through your mercy and grace to know the joy and the peace and the blessings of staying in close communion with, communion with you through your son Jesus and by the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray that your spirit would move in a, a powerful way through this communion time. In Jesus' name.